Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Welcome to this week's show, uh, Michael Hill here on episode 59 of the Broom podcast. Uh, hard to believe that uh, we're almost at 60 episodes, uh, something that we started during the pandemic is uh, going from strength to strength and myself and Gareth Bouch are uh, extremely grateful for everyone that is subscribing and that tunes in uh, to each of our shows. This week, we are going to be putting the world to right. Uh, silly season is in full swing uh, across pretty much every championship, but specifically in MotoGP and in World Superbike. And uh, I'm delighted to be joined uh, a little bit later in the show by the new editor of Bike Sport News, uh, Mr. Ollie Barstow, who has been a guest on the show before. He provided some great insight uh, last year on a number of topics, and uh, he'll be joining us a little bit later on as we summarise what's been going on in the two-wheel and four-wheel world because uh, Ollie also has experience in the Formula One paddock. But first, sit back, strap yourselves in because my first guest is a young teenager, a rising star in Moto America. I'll be talking to Chris Elliott after this. My first guest this week is a young teenager from Colorado that I've had the pleasure of working with now for almost a year. Chris Elliott uh, should be. Uh, he was telling me just before we started recording, packing his suitcase for his uh, family vacation, but he's decided to leave that to his mum and dad. And he's uh, talking to me now. Chris, nice to see you, mate. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. That's what I like to see, though. Uh, a big, big family vacation uh, off to uh, Orlando and Disney World and all these great things you're going to do. Just leave the packing to your mum. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She She's packing right now, getting all my stuff ready. Absolutely. Well, uh, as I said, uh, we've uh, we've been working together a little bit for, for the last few months. Uh, and obviously, we're going to talk a little bit um, about some of the cool things that you've been doing this year with the new website. We'll talk about that in a little while. Um, but as I said, um, you are uh, one of the, the youngest riders in the Moto America Junior Cup, obviously riding a Kawasaki this year. Just for the benefit of the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Moto America and maybe haven't come across your name or, or the results and things. Just tell us a little bit about your career. I'm obviously, uh, you've only been racing for a couple of years, but how did you get into racing? So I got into racing from my dad, actually. Um, he used to race back in the the 90s and he got out of it for a while. And then once I started showing interest and he started like, he went to this MotoGP event in Texas and started to get like the, like wanting to race again, jitters. and um. He brought me to the track and I really liked it. We had this Ducati 748 and I actually got put on the bike at 11 years old. So I did my on first the se- on the 748. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. So I did my first track day um, at Pueblo Motorsports Park on the Ducati 748. And then. At 11 years old. Just, just want to clarify yeah. this for the listeners, because we talk to a lot of riders. We've talked to riders in the World Championship in Moto America, BSB. And we talk about how you know difficult it is sometimes for riders that are not, are not in Europe to be riding a bike. But just to clarify, at 11 years old, you were riding a Ducati 748. That is bonkers. Yeah, crazy. So is, is that the first bike that you learned to ride then? I mean, or did you ride off-road like on a little bike first? Or you were literally oh. taken to the track and just... I did um, motocross for, I don't, let's say, I think I started motocross around like eight or nine. 
And then, ah, so you, okay, that makes more sense. Okay, because I'm I'm sitting here now with my poor little brain about to explode, thinking, <laughs> wow, he, he learned to change gear on a Ducati 748. That really is crazy shit. But like, you you actually knew how to ride a bike. Yeah, I knew how to ride a. Ah, a okay, okay, that makes it a little bit easier to understand. I was just twenty thousand people around Europe are just having heart attacks right now, going, "That's crazy! <laughs> What's his dad doing, sticking him on a 748?" But I tell you what, that's that's still a huge difference, isn't it? Going from a from a motocross bike to then suddenly riding a 748. I mean, the the, the weight and the the size of the thing alone, compared to like a little KX125 or a 450 KTM or whatever you were riding on on off road. I mean, that's a big jump. Yeah, I was riding a, a KX85, so it was like super tiny. And then when I got on the 48 or 748, it was like super fast. It felt like a like a rocket ship, and I was just holding on. Yeah, I can imagine at 11 years old. I mean, bloody hell! I'm not even sure I'd have been able to reach the bars. I was quite small when I was uh, was a kid, so I'm not even sure I'd have. I mean, what was that like? I mean, again, that's kind of taken me in a different direction to the way that I was going to talk about you in this interview. But I mean, this is this is quite interesting. Which so the track you went to was was where was the track? It's in Pueblo, Colorado. It's like an hour south of where I live. Okay, okay, and um, like, and and it's 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 a full track, or it's like a little yeah. go kart track, or no, it's, it's a full it's a full track. It's wow. like a 2.34 mile long course. Wow, that's insane. So what was your first, what, what, can you remember what you said to your dad when you first came in after however many laps you did? <sighs> don't swear because children listen. So if it's going to be bad, <laughs> just... <laughs> no, I don't, I don't really remember. All I remember is like when I took off, I had to like, so we, we, we talked to the, the track owners beforehand and usually you know how you stop at like the the like the the hot pit to like check your wristband or for like a yeah. track day or like you check your sticker yeah. so they agreed that they like already checked my stuff i'm ready to go just to keep let me like drive by because i couldn't touch the ground on the bike wow. so That's like insane and then my dad whenever i came in he would have to catch me like he would have to catch the bike. That's like, that's that's crazy. I'm never going to look at your dad in the same way again. I'm just yeah. like, you know, that's brilliant. That's such a cool story. So, okay, yeah. that was when you were 11. Obviously, you're now still a teenager. I mean, have you? How old are you? You're 16 now, right? Yeah, 16. Right. So, I mean, that's only five years ago that you literally took to to tarmac. Obviously, you're coming from a motocross background. You're used to racing and competing, and and you know, obviously, doing it with your dad. Um, how different was that moving into into tarmac? Because you know, I follow motocross quite a lot, but it's it's very very different. So like, we had trouble kind of with motocross. It was like, I don't know, I just didn't have the best of luck, or like, I didn't race like crazy. It was just like a kind of fun thing we do on the weekends. And like, gotcha. I wanted to race it, but it was just like. I don't know. My dad thought I would be like more successful in road racing and like just wanted to give me a shot. So once I like finally started to road race and like go to track days and stuff, I like fell in love with the sport. So, yeah, I mean, and as I said, I mean, you talk about your dad, but I mean, it's not just your dad. I mean, your mom's a huge, big part of the program uh, as mm -hmm. well, isn't she? I know obviously we caught up with, yeah. uh, with with both mom and dad at, at Barber when I was there a few weeks ago. And uh, you got a lot of support from from your family, which is uh, which is super cool. It's a nice dynamic. I like seeing that when you see young riders, uh, obviously, with, with the full support of, of mom and dad. Uh, who's in charge, though? Is, is, mom, is mom in charge of the team or is dad in charge of the team? You know, because, again, oh. I've noticed a nice little <laughs> dynamic between us. Uh, how does that work out? um it's like a 
like I'm like obviously my dad, but like when it comes to like when I started riding the the Ducati, my mom had a big part in it because she was like, "Oh no, you're not getting on that track." Yeah. At this so, but no, my mom does a lot for the for the team as well. Um, it's just it is it is a big family effort for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I said, I mean, a, a lot of people that watch Moto America will obviously be familiar with with the name, and uh, obviously we've spoken a couple of times on uh, on the mic on the mic segments, for example. But what I think a lot of viewers don't see on the tv is the passion behind it and and you know i wish we actually had a camera at barber because you were fighting for the top eight uh yeah. in, in barber and i tell you what i thought your mom was going to fall over the pit wall i mean she was going <laughs> crazy i mean it was it's so good i mean did you get a chance to see that when you're riding i mean i guess not when you've got four bikes each side of you i mean i just saw the pit board from my dad and like him telling me to like go 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 and i was just like full head down like it was like a a brawl out there it was yeah it, it was, was pretty good yeah, your mom was already on the floor at that point i mean you wouldn't have seen yeah. your mom. She, she'd already passed out like i mean yeah, that was <laughs> i didn't see her as she must have fell behind the wall yeah no it was it was super cool it was super cool and again we're talking about barber that was the 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 round um a couple of weeks ago there has been another round since but you know we've got to say congratulations on on barber i mean uh it was arguably your best race i know obviously results wise you, you've had some good results in the past but certainly from this year I mean, you were fast all weekend, weren't you? I mean, uh, you tried yeah. a few. I know that you tried a few different things. You did a different kind of track walk earlier in the weekend. So, it's a big change for you this year, isn't it? Even just at, at sixteen, you're, you're you're taking on a lot of new things that that you've never had to do before. Um, with the end goal, obviously, of, of making a career. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's like it's like I don't. Know, it's super different from like the years prior. It's like when i did club level stuff it was like you just go to the track and kind of set up practice and then race but now you just like, you look at it with a whole different perspective like you you load in you go on the track walks and you just it's just like a whole different mind game it kind of feels like a job like kind of like it's like got that mindset you you need to have a mindset for it that's it's it's a lot to put on yeah no I, I get what you mean and it's kind yeah. of like you, you kind of you're not i mean you're having fun sure because because racing motorcycles and being at the track is fun but i know what you mean it's kind of you know the, the track walk isn't just counting how many blades of grass is at turn three i mean you're actually yeah. and I, I was on the track walk i was watching you you know you're literally you're working like a like a world championship rider aren't you you know you're actually yeah. taking all of these different things into consideration and looking at lines and looking at the corners in different ways which you've never done before and you know i mean it's it's a lot to take on but i mean are, are you enjoying it yeah i love it i love it like it's like i look forward to it so much like i'm looking forward to brainerd just getting on the track walk just ripping like just ready for practice one the whole like the whole weekend is just like so fun to me it's like i get to go hang out with my family and go race motorcycles on TV. And it's like, this could try to fight for that top step. I love it. I love it. I think you've got a, you've got a great attitude. And again, for someone that's, you know, I've said it so many times, I have the best job in the world being able to go to, you know, not just around the world, but also with, with what I do in Moto America. And, you know, I can see that the steps that you've, you've made and, you know, still finding your feet, still finding your feet with some things, um, you know, which is uh, which is normal, isn't it? I mean, like I said, it's it's very different in Europe. Um, I know we've had conversations about the way that riders 
work in Europe. And I know, obviously, you know, Kayla Yakov very well. And obviously, you've spoken to her about how it's different. And, you know, are you ready for that for that next step? I mean, obviously, in the next year or two, I guess, I guess the plan is to try and get to Europe, isn't it? I guess. I mean, not yeah, wanting yeah. to put words in your mouth, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with staying in America. But I, I'm assuming 16 years of age, the, the, the end goal is to make a career in this. Yes, um, definitely. The plan is to go to Europe um, soon. Um, I feel like it's a good next step just because I'm getting older. And if I really want to make a career out of this, I feel like I need to go to Europe to make it a career. And the competition in Europe is pretty insane. So I feel like just a little bit more for Moto America and then we can get out there and show these boys how the American kid can do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And not just boys. We will just point out before oh, I yeah. start yeah. girl, girls as well. Girls as well. Girls as well. Uh, riders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Riders. I like that. Exactly. Exactly. Obviously, um, f- full season for you in, in Moto America. You're already running in the top 10. You know, you've got the pace, certainly, I think, to challenge for, for top six. Maybe even get that podium before the end of the year. Um, but you're not just riding the, the 400, are you? I know watching on your Instagram and stuff, you're, you're often posting things on a, on a 600. So you're getting a lot of miles on bigger bikes as well, which can only be a good thing. Yeah, the 600's good for me. It's um it's a bigger bike for sure. It's like kind of kind of hard to go back in between the two. Um but no, my my dad wants me to get some track time on it just for the future so I can be ready and not just make that big step, you know. So, I try to get as much track time on the the 600 as possible. I was just on it yesterday actually at, at Pueblo. And yeah, just put it in the laps just and sometimes I'll actually ride my dad's R1. That that it's like a race. That one's pretty fun. Yeah. Does does your dad still race? Does he still get out on track with you sometimes or not so much now? Um, yeah, he was out on track yesterday, um, practicing. Or uh, is, is he still is he still fast or is he? I mean, this this is your t- this is your time now with you know twenty odd thousand subscribers to the podcast. I mean, if you want to throw him under the bus and tell him that he's he's a slow old man, I mean, you can go for it. Or is he listening? I like that. We we were recording this on we're recording this on uh, on Zoom, uh, ladies and gents, as we always do. So I get to see expressions and facial expressions. And when I said that, there was a little glance to the right hand side of, uh, of where Chris is sitting. So I'm, I'm guessing Dad is sat right next to you, right? Yeah, he's he's over there. Oh, he's over there. But you, you know, don't, don't worry. Don't worry because like, he, he can't hit you or, or do anything because it'll be on camera, right? So yeah. you, you, you can say what you got to say. Like, I mean, is, is he is he still fast? Is the, is, is the old man still able to twist the wrist? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He gets her slideways. That's for sure. Excellent stuff. Do you know what? I'm actually thinking I'm going off on a tangent now. And again, everyone listening is going to be thinking, here he goes. He's off on, off on one of his rants. But obviously in Moto uh, America, you, you're riding. Obviously, your dad's not riding. He's on, obviously, the, the technical side of things, which is an important job. But um, there are endurance races in uh, in the US as there are as there are in Europe. What, what about a father-son Priest Elliot and Dad, or Elliot Racing, uh, which is the team that you run under. What about an Elliot Racing father and son four-hour endurance race? That, that'd be cool. Have you, never would, thought about, have you not thought about doing that? That'd be great. That would be great because, like, I've never raced with my dad before. We've only like kind of practiced, so I think I think that would be cool. I think that would be so cool, and there's still time to do it. I mean, I'm frantically looking on my my mobile while I'm talking to you now, trying to look at uh, possible dates that we could pull this off. Because then, then you'd have no excuse because it would be timed. It would be black and white. Oh, and if, you, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you were faster than your dad, the only downside to that, though, Chris, is if the old man was faster than you, you're never going to live it down. That's that's the no. only that's the only downside. That's the only downside. I know. I I don't, I don't know what I would do. 
I, well, I think I know you quite well. You'd, pro- you'd probably start crying and hide under it, hide under your bed or something. <laughs> for a week. You, you, your dad would be walking around like all peacock feathers, like you know, shoulders back. Your dad would be loving it, but uh, you, you probably, uh, you probably not so much. Um, you mentioned Brainerd. Obviously, that's the next round of the Moto America Championship for you guys because obviously of the new calendar uh, this year. So obviously, family holiday tomorrow. So it's always good to let your hair down and um, and obviously chill out with, with family. What's the plan in terms of riding between now and Brainerd um, on a motorcycle? Because obviously, you've got six, seven weeks. Haven't you? It's quite a, quite a long time. Right, yeah, gotta be. Um, so the plans to just do some like get some laps and you know, um, I know there's a four-hour endurance at high plains raceway coming up uh july 15th so we're gonna we're gonna try to do that for sure get a team together and get some laps on the 600 and there's a track day before brainerd that we'll be we'll be going to to get some more get some more seat time there so yeah no i like that and what, what about the pittsburgh race in august um are you going to do the the endurance race or the, the the practice in the week before yeah yeah we'll be there for sure Excellent, because that leads me on to the next thing. How? Are you, never mind having your dad on the bike, because uh, I will be at the end to uh, uh, race the week before, and uh, I can let everybody know right now. I will be on track. I will be riding an R three Yamaha, doing some filming for them on uh, on the Thursday. Uh, so big, big thanks to uh, to Emerson and all the guys at N two. So we 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 could have a we could have a, a mic a mic on the bike on the mic. Yeah. You know that that would be kind of cool. In, that'd fact, be a first, yeah. in fact, could could you have three riders on a team? Maybe me, you, and your dad. Me, you, and your dad in the endurance race. No, actually, you want to win. No, you want to win. That's a bad idea because I'd be shit. Like now, I'm going to be. Surprised. <laughs> That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can have four riders on a team. Well, we'd need we we'd need four, or you'd need to do double duty just to catch up because I, I I would be slow. I've not ridden <laughs> I've not ridden on a track for a long long time. But I'm yeah I'm super looking forward to that. So the fact that you're going to be there in Pittsburgh that that that'll be good. Um, yeah. A couple of other things, real quick, before we before we finish, we've got about five five or six minutes left. Um, obviously, new website for you this year, really cool new logo. Um, how can people how can people follow you? Social media. How how do we get all of these followers around the world to to start tuning in and and following your progress? So my website's creaselliot.com. Um, you'll see I got a logo that shows my hair. It's pretty. It's pretty cool, and it's got. Yeah, this- I've got. To, I've got to say, as a man that is 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 follically challenged with absolutely no hair since I was in my early twenties, I am so jealous. And and the logo does look cool. I have to say, the logo does look uh, cool. You've got the big chain on there as well. Yeah, like a big yep. big neck chain, uh, which it's it, it is it is super super cool. Um, and obviously you on Instagram as well. Yeah, my Instagram crease. Um underscore elliot 47 excellent and um yeah um twitter is crease 47 elliot excellent yeah and that's another new thing that you've you've just got into this year as well with uh with with twitter and uh, that that's good to see and a little birdie tells me that you're also working on some merchandise so again people need to follow you because when the merch drops um that's going to be cool i mean do i get mates rates do i get like a discount or something Oh yeah, of course, of course you do. <laughs> Excellent. So I have to, I have to get. That. I am king of the freeloaders, obviously. So you know, I, yeah. I like to, to get what I can. But yeah, what, what's happening with the merch then? Uh, you tell us, tell us about that. So we got some merch um, getting made right now. Actually, should be out pretty soon. Um, and it's it's gonna be pretty it's gonna be pretty sick. Um, and it's got, incorpor- got some- is it is it incorporating like the logo and stuff? Or yes, yeah. Oh wow, the that's logo. gonna be cool. Yeah, yeah. The logo should pop really good on the shirts. It should be something you should wear every day 
I like that. I like yeah. that. You, you know, you've got a job as a salesman as well when you when you hang up your leathers, which is another 30 years down the line for sure. But yeah. uh, you, know, you definitely could do that. Um, again, very quickly, then a couple of rounds left, well, sort of halfway through the season. Aren't we? What, what's the objective for the remaining right races in Moto America? Um, it's just to, just to get better, you know, like get more top 10, get more top, hopefully reach for that top five by the end of the season. Um, just get up in there, get with those boys like up front. Yeah, it's just it's like the little things. I feel like I could be there like right now. Obviously, I have the pace. It's just we just got to as a team, we got to figure some things out for sure. And I and I'm glad we have these two months off because it we can regroup and get a fresh start at Brainerd. So and I I love Brainerd. Um, last year was my first top 10 there. Yeah, I was so, going to say you did great, and I watched it on TV last year. You did great at uh, at Brainerd. So, um, and I, I like what you're saying. I mean, I think you know, racing is so intense. There's so many different parts of putting a jigsaw together, isn't it? You talk about the new things you're doing off the track, stuff on the track. There's always things that are going to be out of your control that you you can't control. You know, if you have a bike problem or somebody takes you out, I mean, you can't control that. But it's about just putting it all together and when it clicks i agree with you i mean you you you've shown that you've got the pace for the for the top 5 or 6 so it's just it's got to click and then when it when it clicks i think you'll be you'll be home and dry and and then your yeah. mum will be well and truly on the floor when you get the podium i just i can't yeah. I, just, I just hope we have a camera there I hope there's a camera filming your mum's reaction when you get that first podium because there's going to be tears in fact your dad as well i mean he's a bit of a tough guy isn't he but i'm sure we'll need to hand him a handkerchief for sure because he'll be in bits <laughs> it'll be pretty cool sure. it'll be It'll be good. Um, okay, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, holiday time. Obviously, you're off uh, on holiday. Uh, what's what's the plan for for holiday? Where where are we going? Tell tell us. Oh, and where's my invite? To be quite honest, I mean, <laughs> we're going to Orlando, Florida, and um, Tampa area. Nice. So go out there for a week. Hit the beach. Go to the theme parks and stuff. Should be fun. Now that's so, super cool. Yeah, that is super hot. Yeah, what's the what's the weather like over there right now? Because I know in Colorado, I know when we was we spoke a little bit over the winter, and you guys had snow and it was it was cold, like you know. But now I yeah. think you, you guys were saying in it, so when I saw you at Barbara, it gets quite hot there too. It's literally chalk and cheese. Yeah, it, in Colorado right now, it's been raining for the past like ten days. Like it just rained all night last night, thunderstorms and stuff. Not it's like the new Florida, but Florida is like when we go it's supposed to be like 95 degrees every day which is insanely hot compared to what we're used to here so yeah no you're gonna have a blast that's gonna be so good well i look forward to, to look forward to seeing all these posts on uh, on instagram and uh, and all these uh do, do you go on the big roller coaster i've never been to disney i've been to euro disney which is like the smaller disneyland in paris you know but it's not not to the same scale i would imagine right. as it's in, in america but i mean do you go on all the big rides or oh yeah yeah it's like riding a motorcycle it's like riding an r1 you just get the in, instant acceleration. Excellent, excellent. I'm looking forward to uh, look forward to uh, to seeing all of that. So, uh, as I said, uh, Chris, I, I could talk for another half an hour, but I know your, your mum will probably want you to go and help pack that suitcase. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna end it there. But thank you for being on the Vroom podcast. Have a blast on holiday. Um, I look forward to following uh, all the progress in the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, when the merch is ready, I'll take a, a size M medium. Thank you very much. All right, sounds good. All right, buddy. Have a great holiday, and I will see you in Pittsburgh. Okay, sounds good. Hey. 
Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. Thanks for sticking with us on the Vroom podcast. My next guest is, uh, well, is a chap that's been on the show before and he was so bloody good that, well, I'm not sure he was that good, to be honest, but we couldn't get anybody else this week. So we brought him back. Uh, Ollie Barst, I'm joking, uh, Ollie, uh, the new editor of uh, of Bike Sport News uh, joins us now. Uh, how are you, mate? You're looking great. Uh, thank you very much. Um, that was for, for audio. You know, you can't see me, but thank you for the compliment nonetheless for the not so great podcast before, but um, I will endeavour to be better this time no thank you it's a pleasure absolute pleasure yeah no i'm joking uh, the last show was uh, was so much fun we obviously delved into quite a few little topics but obviously didn't have enough Long, time it? <laughs> yeah, it was good it was a really uh, i really enjoyed it and uh, i think obviously a lot's changed since you were on the show um not just in terms of what's happening in the racing world i mean silly season which predominantly is what we're going to talk about today and, and really just put the world i think to rights in terms of what we think is going on and what should go on but a lot's been happening with you as well obviously with the the sad passing of uh, of David Miller, uh, of course, our thoughts are obviously with uh, uh, his his family and, and and such a such a terrible loss to to the motorcycle community. But you've Absolutely. picked up the mantle. Um, you've picked up the mantle with uh, with Bike Sport News, and um, you, you're doing a great job. And just just tell us a little bit about that. Obviously, your new role. Yeah. So as you say, um, tragic, um, really sad um, circumstances that that kind of led to this. It's kind of you know it's it's difficult to kind of you know sort of talk about it as a congratulations sort of thing because. But it's, it's for me personally, it's a massive responsibility. It's a lovely, it's a lovely um, appraisal of of what I've been doing to be able to take on a role like this. But specifically, this website, which it was you know created by David, it's such a fantastic platform and legacy that he had that he created, and it's something that you know I take seriously in terms of wanting to kind of nurture it and 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 take it to. You know, the next well, not necessarily the next level just just keep that plan you know keep his plan sort of going and strength of what he did particularly in the website and its reputation um is that he was very much at the kind of the the, the level of, of the riders he's got great great rapport especially on the british domestic side um you know things like british superbikes and and Isle of Man TT and, even, and even grassroots level and create this fantastic platform for kind of journalism with a little bit of a with the tongue a little bit firmly wedged in the cheek, you know that sort of thing. It's a little bit of collo- you know a bit colloquial, a bit kind of bit a bit more fun, basically, but still immensely professional. And it's a difficult it's a difficult um, space to be in. You know, there's a lot of you know motorcycle racing websites out there, um, and I think what he created is something just a little bit on the side that really really combines. A lot of what I love about you know doing this job because there is a job to be done you know news and 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 your interviews and things but I think something sometimes you can stand to be a little bit more fun and a little bit more um you know the other side of the other side of racing I mean his um his 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 father I I speak a lot of his father and um Sir Robin Miller absolute legend in the in the industry 
And we both sort of say, you know, everyone's got a story. There is a great story out there. It doesn't have to be someone you know, it can be someone involved, but there is a great story out there always. And it's a case of just um, unearthing those and putting them to the forefront, really. So, you know, it's 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 a busy job. I'm not going to lie. Um, there's, there's, there have been a lot of changes recently and the season carries on. The season doesn't tend to sort of let up steam. You know, you, you kind of fall out of one weekend and dive straight into another one. And then you try to create something, you know, exciting and an evolution for the future. So that's what I'm trying to work on at the moment without losing the essence of what makes the, the website great. But, uh, you know, thank you for what you said there, because it, it's it's a big responsibility and I am really, really enjoying it. And hopefully it'll, that's, uh, that's shared by everyone out there too. Yeah, well, I, I, obviously I've known you for... I won't give away our ages because we're still sprung chickens, but I've known you for a few years. And I, I couldn't now, have thought, <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't have thought of anybody better to to fill those shoes. I think you, you're doing a great job, and uh, you know, obviously, you've worked very hard. You know, again, like you said, there's a story. You know, it's one of the reasons that we got you on the show last year was that you know the unsung heroes of the paddock. It's not all about the races. You know, we've had mechanics, team managers. You know, I think you were the first journalist that we had on there. But there there are stories around the paddock, and it's I think it's nice to see people that work hard getting the recognition that they deserve as you said sadly not in in the nicest of circumstances but as you said there's a there's a great legacy that david uh has, has created and, and you can and pick up that mantle and run with it and i'm sure wherever he is looking down i'm sure he's going to be super proud of what you're doing and and um yeah he'll, he'll definitely be smiling because you, you you've got a little bit of that tongue-in-cheek um sort of uh i don't know what the word is but um, when, when you write your articles are very very similar sassy. to david's <laughs> yeah sassy yeah i guess you know i mean i've been on the receiving sassy was the word that was used for yeah um very absolutely. i think what someone described my work as and it's the greatest compliment i could ever have this work is this, re- this writing is very you to love but um i should say at this point actually and 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 you know i i'm really fantastically supported um by team i have around me which includes um and phil wayne who's been doing a lot of the bsb and then the uh, tt stuff gordon ritchie does it well supervised for us um taking on new guy uh, luke newman who's been diligently working up early out up, up early in the morning and working really hard and then also christina bullpeh who um kind of i was there before me she did incredible amounts incredibly quality work before before sort of i came on board um and obviously she was working in a particularly quite quite you know tough circumstances of what was going on around for a long time and so i just want to kind of point to them and just kind of um say that i, I appreciate everything they do tim keaton as well and ian hopgood and photographers have all been out there kind of kind of mucking in and and then doing their job and helping to make my transition a lot easier so i should just say um big thank you and um um, full praise to them all credit to them as well yeah 100 percent. again some some big names again some of the the listeners especially from from the bsb will recognize some of those names uh, that that you mentioned and again absolutely all deserve a great shout out obviously one of the reasons we got you back on the show we had a lot of comments last time in terms of you know some of the topics we discovered and you know what our opinions are and you know it's always i think things are always subjective isn't it i get comments all the time yeah absolutely 100 percent. you know for every 10 people that that like a style of commentary there's 10 people that don't or same with journalism etc and you know i think with my my role especially in the world superbike championship we have to be or i have to be a little bit guarded in terms of what you say in a public forum because you're also representing a championship but we do all have opinions so i think for me bringing bringing somebody like you on the show is quite good because i can just kind of like you know wind it up and just press play and then everything that needs to be said you can do so that the shit comes your way do you know what i mean that's generally how it works i've, I've literally made a career out of uh, trying to dodge or um stop 
shit from coming my way, but I quite like seeing it coming my way. I just don't want it to hit me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I guess that leads us on to, to silly season. As I said in the preview uh, tweets that I've made this week, uh, this show is, is something, you know, that normally historically silly season well, it used to be years ago, sort of August, September time. Now it seems that people are signing contracts for two years down the line after just signing the new contract, which to me just blows my mind. You know, so much can change in, in racing as we've seen. I guess where do we start? I mean, let's let's start firstly with World Superbike. Obviously, uh, I'm on a plane uh, tomorrow to to Moto America, and then straight back to Donington, which is historically my busiest weekend of the year. We do all the work for the charity, but the big news, obviously, coming into Donington is that Alvaro Bautista has decided to stay. He's going to stay with Ducati. It's a one-year deal. No word on who's going to be alongside him. Um, Toprak Razgalioglu has decided to leave Yamaha. He's going to the Rocket BMW team. Big, big surprise that. No, no real surprise for me that Alvaro decided to stay. I think it kind of makes sense. You know, he's arguably the best rider on the grid right now, or certainly riding the best um, with, with the package that he's got. Um, Toprak wants a new challenge. He openly admitted that to, to me personally on the stage in front of people. You know, it's not that he's displeased with what he's achieved with Yamaha, but just wanted a fresh challenge. Um, and you can't really blame him for that. Jonathan, we know, has a contract. So the three main riders in the championship are staying where they are. Toprak's move is something that, for me, really has just created this whirlwind in Superbike. And again, maybe it's not publicised as much as all the craziness in, in MotoGP. But that one move has now potentially made five or six different seats available or not available, because now there's a really, really top Yamaha available. Who now is going to stay at BMW? Where you know, Do, do they stay loyal with... With Michael Vandermark, do they bring Tom Sykes back in? Does does Scott decide to take up the option to stay? I mean, then throw into the mix Alex Lowe's, the Kawasaki, you know, no word on whether he's staying or not, you know. So there's, again, you hear rumours, is he going to go to another challenge? Then you hear names like Vierke, Laquona, they're all linked to these different bikes. And then lo and behold, we turn up at Mizano for the last round. Andre Iannone is in the garage. And he, all of a sudden, is now a candidate to be on a bike. Um uh, Fabio Di Gianantonio's name is linked. Frankie Morbidelli's name is linked. I don't know what your take on it all is, but for me, there's a lot of good riders and there's not enough seats. <laughs> it's how I see it. You know, there's going to be some people that are going to be left disappointed. Um, oh God, where to begin? Um, so yeah, sorry about that. I just uh, kind of, I just hurled all of that at you, didn't I? I didn't, I didn't take pause for breath, but there, there is so much going on. Well, cover off Alvaro first. Um, I'm not surprised to, he's, he's, staying on the surprise it's a one-year deal um i think he sees the value in retiring at the top um i get the impression he's, there's a little hunger for more which i think is how the moto gp test which is doing today actually um with gp test and the wild card has come about because i think he's got unfinished business in moto gp and i think that might just help a bit, bring a bit of closure to that and then you know i mean Ducati's advantage at the moment with him on board specifically is monumental and i think it would be you wouldn't put it wouldn't help Ducati for him to look Leave, really he doesn't need to leave um and it's not the most intensive calendar compared to like MotoGP so that, that that side of things I'm 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 not surprised I'm a bit surprised by the kind of the hullabaloo that kind of led up to it and this press conference and everything and starting all that which maybe was intentional but um that side of things I'm, I'm not surprised although I think a lot of people are thinking oh it's another year of him dashing off into the, to the distance um be interested to see what the regulators do to see if um they you know I I, I don't I don't personally can come Alvarez's dominance at the moment. I've got kind of theories about what to do and how it's kind of happened. But um, with Toprak, I love it. 
absolutely love it. I think I think it's a little bit of a I can see why people are probably thinking it's for money. Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily hurt, but um, imagine the, uh, the, 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 the Turkish lira and the German kind of exchange is quite good at the moment. But um, the top pack, I think it's hard to see where Yamaha, where he can go much further with Yamaha. And once MotoGP was kind of taken off the table by, you know, a very, very lukewarm response from, from MotoGP itself and, you know, you can tell you can read between the lines when you're a journalist, and they, they weren't very promising um, before it kind of was sort of knocked on on the head. So, without the MotoGP kind of card, then he's left with World Superbike. So he's looking at his World Superbike future. I think, I mean, Yamaha needs to bring is bring out a new bike at some point, but it won't be next year. It might be next year. Not 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 too clear yet. But you know, it depends on what they need to do. And the problem with the current format is Ducati can afford to make a prototype-esque high-speed, relatively small volume um, bike to, to sell because they don't, well, they've got two versions. They've got the S, which is which they can't race because of the regulations or the um, homologation. This engine's too big. Um, so they created the R instead, which is sort of, you know, just it's just under, it's a thousand cc. But by doing that, they've created, <clears throat> they've created basically kind of a limited edition, almost the R. That's, that they can throw everything at basically and make it this incredible. It's it's it can do two hundred forty two brake horsepower in as a road going model. Um, the next fastest one is I think the Honda at two fifteen and then the, the Yamaha and the Kawasaki are doing around two hundred. So that's a mass. That is a massive difference. So and then the Yamaha and the Hondas and the and the Kawasaki's they need to they need to sell these bikes. They need to make money um, by volume, not by markup because the Ducati is insanely expensive to buy um but they can afford to do that because there'll be that that there'll be enough people to afford that markup that'll make it worthwhile Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki need to sell to you know Joe Public so that's where I think the regulations are going to have to be a little bit they're going to have to need to look at this a little bit because they have reined in homologation specials over the years to stop manufacturers from building like a really honed well super version they're going to sell about 10 versions of because that's not really in the spirit of the regulations, but they have kind of rain, they've kind of let that go a little bit because they want the BMW M thousand RR again, that is also an incredibly expensive, you know, loads of electronics, loads of gizmos and everything like that. They can't ironically they can't seem to get it to work for on the racing version. Um going back to my point, you know, with, with the Yamaha with most people at the table, Top Brass kind of done a lot of what he needs to do there. Um I get the impression there's a bit of friction in terms of negotiating a deal um although i imagine trying to deal with keenan is tricky i imagine he's uh, i imagine he's not he's the best around the negotiation table so you know bmw it's, it's good for bmw to be honest because i was i was half expecting them to kind of take their ball and go home because they have a ten, they have had a bit of a history of doing that when they don't can't make a success of something in formula one in was in world rally championship in sports cars um and previously in bmw in, previously on World Superbike even. Yeah. Um, so I had a feeling that they had to go hard with getting top rack. And if they didn't, then they might have you know, chucked it in a little bit. So who but, do they keep then? Who do, who do they put alongside? I mean, it's interesting what you say. And I, I agree with, with a lot of what you're saying. Again, I, I don't want to get into the debate of whether we have to slow Alvaro down I mean, or whether everybody else has to improve or, you know, but in terms of now BMW have given themselves a problem in a way, because, you know, when I spoke to top rack, he, understandably believes that he can go to BMW and do what he did with Yamaha. Let's not forget when Toprak signed to go with Yamaha, 
everybody also said he was making a mistake. There were a lot of people on the outside that were saying he isn't going to win. It's going to take him years to turn this bike around. They haven't won a world championship since Ben Spees in 2009. And he wins in the first weekend. So, you know, I'm with you. I think it's great for the championship. I think Toprak, we know, is motivated. But on the other side of the fence, they already did go big with bringing in, in Scott Redding. Um, they've had Tom Sykes on the bike. Um, and again, I'm not saying that Toprak is a better rider. But, you know, and, and you know, there's, I think Scott made a comment in, in Mizano. He's also sort of said, well, I'm not sure what else Toprak can bring to the table because we're not where we need to be. So, you know, to echo, to go back to your point, I, I get what you're saying. And BMW are going big. And it's great that they're not going to leave the championship again like they did when Corsa Melandri back in the day. You know, it's great that they're staying. But what can they do now? Because you're going to have top rack. Who now do they keep? Because we know Gerloff is going to stay with Bonovo. That's a done deal. He already has a two-year deal. So do they move Michael or Scott to the Bonovo team? So they end up keeping both, which then means Loris Baz is out of a ride. I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's a big issue there. And then whatever happens at BMW is going to have a knock-on effect, potentially, to Kawasaki, to Honda, to the GYTR team. You know, if they move Agatha or Remy Gardner, there's a very competitive seat there. And that's before you even get down to Moto Corsa and to Barney. And, you know, there's that, that one move from Toprak has really created a bit of a bit of a conundrum, I think, in the paddock, which, like, like you said, I think is great. It's, it is fantastic. But it's, it's, a, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's interesting because I think when he went from Puchetti to Yamaha, I think we had, it was the start of COVID. It was, we had that first round and then we had that long layoff. Um, the results on, on when we came back went spectacular. Philip was a bit, of a, a bit of a misnomer because it can throw up odd results with it being so early in the year after testing and everything. So I always consider the first round being in Phillip Island. So in February to be a bit, a bit at odds with everything else that happens in the year. And his results when we came back weren't that great. Actually, they weren't that great at the start of 2021 either, to be honest, um, compared to like, you know, Johnny Ray, who was a little bit down, and then from, I think it was Mazzano onwards, he was fantastic. I think it depends on how much time, because, I mean, a year, there, if you consider that, COVID kind of squashed everything up, but that was about a year and a half, year and a bit, for the results to start coming, <clears throat> basically. But the thing is, I don't think he's going to get that much time, um, psychologically, from people expecting him to do to be successful. They're going to do a lot of interest in his first test, in his first round, and if the results aren't coming along, and they probably won't, to be honest, then it's it's it could kind of cause an cause an effect. So I think it's going to result. It's going to need some kind of culture change. I think in the BMW squad, something which I get the impression is not easily done there, because I feel like they're throwing a lot at that bike and the team, and it's not sticking. But it's because they can't seem to stick it. They can't seem to find the groove. Then they're just throwing everything at it in the meantime. So you get these little flashes of form, which they kind of had in 2019. They had some decent flashes of, of form in 2019, but. 2020 even sorry and um it's interesting to see like you know top racks everyone's talking about top rack he, he is an unusual riding style i think he's one of those people that is very flexible i think he can work around a lot of things and bring it to him i just think um it's going to take a lot from bmw they kind of need to meet in the middle somewhere and that's what that's what that, that i think is and, and people talk about top rack you know doing a fantastic job in yamaha i think massive credit to yamaha actually as well and, and credit racing to to have brought it to him um because the bike that, that one wasn't new by any stretch it'd been around for quite a while by then and it was kind of really incremental improvements and then with him it just took that kind of step but it needed that that person with a particular skill or talent to take it another another big stride and that's perhaps what bmw needs as well but bmw isn't at the level where yamaha was when top rack joined so, top, so bmw has quite a lot of improvement he needs to do in, in his last few rounds to get the bike into a place where he can make that step 
And so I can see him doing you know, good results necessarily compared to what BMW are doing now, but I don't expect wins straight, you know, wins and podiums straight away. Happy to be proven wrong, of course. Um, and you know, hopefully he can find his breaking comfort on an M thousand RR. Um but you know, I mean, as for who 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 partners him, I'm gonna be controversial and say I should say um say neither. Actually, I don't. I mean, if they, if they're going to do it, I think they'll keep Vandermark. Personally, his injuries have kind of created a sort of weird gulf of not really knowing exactly where he is, and he has been out for a while actually for the last couple of years with various injuries. That could that could you know if they if they're a bit long lingering, then that could be problems. But like Paul Spargo and MotoGP as well, you know, you've got Costa yep. coming up, and you think, well, where is Paul? Is he going to be affected? Yeah. Um, down the line, I mean, Scott. Uh, his head's a little bit this is my it's my personal opinion i'd like to say very much to be disproven he'd probably hate me saying this but um i think his head's a little bit elsewhere at the moment um and so by coming in you could tell he was a bit his, his nose is a little bit put out of joint but he hasn't really been delivering what he needs to and i can see that's because of the bike i don't think it's necessarily because he's a lack of talent or lack of effort at all it's just it's not it's not marrying up at the moment it's and... just not yeah you're right it's it's just not gelled has it i mean we all know what a talent scott is i mean he was second and third in the world championship with ducati like he was the british champion we know what he can do so no i, I agree i mean I, I guess it comes back to you know i'm just conscious also of the time we're going to do something on the room podcast that we've never done before because in a moment when we finish talking about world superbike we are going to take a very very short break and then we're going to do part two uh with ollie because we've already been talking for 30 minutes and we're only still yeah. world <laughs> Superbike. Um, so we're going to go again. So we're just going to finish off. We've got about five minutes before this first recording on our Zoom meeting cuts off. So we'll just very, very quickly um, just fire some very quick questions at you then, Ollie. So uh, if, if you're saying that if you're going to say that potentially BMW don't keep neither rider, who do you want to see alongside Toprak? Just one name. If you if it was your decision, um, you, I think someone you... young who can. Okay, well, let me just explain why I said that, actually, yeah. very quickly. Um, yeah. Top Rack, I think, is going to change the bike a lot, and it needs someone who's going to come in fresh and new and has a complete blank canvas in which to also adapt kind of with him, basically, rather than trying to get someone like Mark van der Mark or Scott Redding to adapt to a bike that he's on. It's a bit like what they did with Andrea Locatelli coming into. Um, I think he's kind of adapted to that kind of you know bike that Top Rack's obviously going to take a steer on. So if it's going to be a young rider coming up, I mean, I don't think Nicola Bulliger is going to necessarily go there, but... You know, I'm thinking maybe Marcel Schrotter could be an option, given he's you know, German. There's that German kind of link. Um, and then you have uh, you know, various sort of super sport people um, or anyone from one of the other, you know, sort of championships. So who have we got kind of young cup doing well in, in BSB? I'd love to see someone like you know, Carl Ride step up maybe, but perhaps he's a little bit too Yamaha, too much on the Yamaha and it'll depend on Bradley. But um, yeah, so that's, that's it's, I need to think about who, exactly who the uh, my candidate would be, but that's my kind of, Bold thinking there to bring on someone, or maybe someone from Mo too, maybe. Yeah. Okay. S same question then. Alvaro Bautista, we know is staying. Does Does Ducati keep Rinaldi? Do they bring in Bassani, Fabio Di Antonio, Andrea Iannone? Are they two candidates? I mean, Fabio Di Antonio, we know is a great talent. Andrea Iannone, we know what a great talent he was. Do you think it's good to see somebody like that coming into the championship? Well, you know, no, I don't think. I think not because his, his reputation is solid. I think it just creates a few more pro too too many problems basically, um, in terms of transition maybe 2025 possibly um but 2024 no i don't think it'll be him um did antonio he's not on a, it's, it's worth remembering he's not on a ducati contract in moto gp he's on a grissini one so ducati doesn't need to necessarily place him somewhere to keep him on their books 
Frankie Morbidelli, I think he's going to stay at Yamaha. Now, I think Jorge Martin seems to be off the table and I don't think Acosta will go there either. Um, Bulliger, I think I think he's very good. I think it'd be a bit of a... I think they, it'd be good to have him on there while Bautista's there for at least one more year. I think that would be good for them and then give him that year to practice, to sort of test and, and kind of get the hang of um, superbikes. Um, but again, he might be placed at somewhere like Go 11 or maybe somewhere like that instead. Um I would I'd love to see Axel Bassani on there, but he I get the impression like this sort of they don't want to promote him because he's not theirs. He's not Ducati's protege. Uh, I feel if just a little bit standoffish about him being a being part of, of the team. Um so therefore you've got kind of Rinaldi, but Rinaldi's I mean, he's quick sometimes. He he is quick. And but his his last three years at the Ducati have been pretty much identical so far. So if there's been this kind of like doubts about him after one year and the doubts about him after the second year, and there's probably gonna be doubts about him in the third year, you just think how long do you kind of keep doing that so i would personally put pisani on there because he is obviously talented very raw he needs probably something like an aruba team or alvaro just to kind of soften those edges a little bit and get that consistency at the end of the day he is actually up his fourth in the championship so he's still pretty bloody good even with that um and it'd be a bit of an edge and he's fun isn't he? he's a bit of personality um and then you know you can learn the Balti- bautista and if bautista retires next year then pisani would be a fantastic team lead in my personal opinion so I would put Bazzani on that. I'm not sure that's going to happen, though, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, I like, again, I'd like to be proven wrong. And just very, very quickly, before we take a very, very quick break and then come back and talk about all things MotoGP, BSB and Moto America, um, Alex Lowe deserves to stay at Kawasaki. Do you change him? Agata, Remy Gardner, do you promote them at Yamaha? What's your take on that? Mm-hmm. Kawasaki, they don't really have anyone coming up, do they? They seem to have taken their off the board with that, and the bike is old now. So, um, yes, I guess, keep keep Alex. I think he's taken a step forward this year. He seems to be a bit more on, on Johnny's level. Um, I think people see Kawasaki having dropped back, but Alex is, I think, actually doing better. And he is very much liked by the team. And, you know, he's. I, I, I would thinking mentally down down the team down the down the grids you know if there was someone like you know Dominic Agata or even Axel Bassani kind of available for a punt or even Scott actually if he's going to be out or or, or Michael I think there would be great options as well I can't quite see Scott and Johnny in the same garage necessarily but you'd buy you'd um, buy a t- you'd buy a ticket for the first media scrum of that though wouldn't you you would, you would, you want your microphone right there at the front, getting um, you know, getting so close you can you can, you can smell his breath. But, um, <laughs> but um, as for, as for Yamaha, they've got embarrassment. They've got an embarrassment of riches, and now they've got they've got no team, they've got no star anymore. So they've got all these very fantastic riders, but who's the star that's going to replace Top Rack? That's the difficult one. Again, I could possibly also see Scott, Scott there, but um, I think Dominique's done a great job. Actually, to be honest, I think he's got the, the measure of of Remy. Um, I think he's been a bit lucky this year, actually, as well. I think he's had a couple of incidents that he's been kind of involved in that haven't been his fault. Um, he has an incredible record. I, mean, I, did, I interviewed him, so incredible record. He, I think in like something stupid, like 250 GP starts, he crashed out about four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was. I think incredible. he's had more of those, more than that this year. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. And you know, he's obviously he did the World Super was incredible. I think you know Yamaha could do perhaps some maybe sort of um um honouring that, should we say? But uh, I think he's got the measure of, of Remy. Um, then you obviously they've got your sort of Frankie. That's somewhere I could see like Fabio potentially ending up DJ Antonio. Um, but yeah, but then you also got Sam Lowe's, of course, with the VDS has been rumored a lot. Um, and I mentally been and Danilo Petrucci's around as well. I think he's done a pretty he's really solid job this year as well. There's a lot of good talent. I think Wall Street Bus has got a lot of depth 
beyond like second downwards basically there's a lot of depth but um yeah it's uh it's there's options i just have a feeling teams the manufacturing teams have a tendency of being a little bit do the same thing a little bit because if they're not winning well that's the final word on our first segment. Like I said, uh, I knew this was going to be a great show. Uh, we're going to step away with yeah. a short commercial break. Stay with us because when we come back, we're going to be talking all things Honda and Yamaha and Mark Marquez in MotoGP. We're going to talk about Cameron Bobier's return to Moto America, and we're going to pick Ollie's brains about the BSB Championship, which uh, after Knock Hill last weekend just seems to be, again, uh, electric this year. So many possible winners. And we've got to talk about Peter Hickman's 136 mile an hour lap of whatever crazy speed he ended up getting to at the TT. So uh, stay with us. We'll be back with Say again? 136 miles an hour. 136, 358 miles an hour. Pretty insane. Absolutely insane. We'll be back to talk about all that and more after this short break. Stay with us. Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, Michael Hill here with uh, Ollie Barstow, the editor of Bike Sport News. And as we said, this was always going to be such a great show. We started at the top uh, with uh, young uh, teenager, Chris Elliott, uh, the young lad that is racing in Moto America. And uh, he set us up nicely for the first part of what is now a two-part interview uh, and chat with uh, with Ollie. We've just... Uh. 35 minutes dissecting everything, well, not everything, but pretty much uh, a lot of what is going on in uh, World Superbike. And for the next part of the show, uh, we are going to talk about uh, MotoGP, BSB, Moto America, and the Isle of Man TT. So uh, very quickly, Ollie, before we come on to MotoGP, I'm just going to switch things around a little bit. As I said, I'm on a plane tomorrow to Seattle for my next round of Moto America. It's a championship that you know I've been fortunate enough to be involved with uh, for uh, probably four or five years now. It's a great championship. It's growing uh, all the time. And um, it's, a, it's a series that I know that you, you follow, obviously, because of the pandemic. Um, one great thing that came out of the pandemic was the fact that America seemed to go racing a lot quicker than all of us in Europe. So there was actually a championship going on. And I think that opened the Moto America paddock to the European audience, especially in the UK. The races were shown on, on British Eurosport. And this year we talk about everything that's going on in the World Championships and in BSB. But there's a lot of movement that's happened in the Moto America Championship. Cameron Bobier, the former champion, is back there with a BMW M1000RR. And a lot of people, we talked about it in the segment earlier about BMW, what they need to do. As far as Cameron Bobier is concerned, they don't need to do anything because he won the first race of the championship. He pulled back a couple of second deficit on the, the defending champion, Jake Gagne. And if you didn't see that race, it was an insane opening race, uh, elbow bashing all the way to the flag. And Bobier got the win. He followed that up with another podium. Bobier's won again in the last round at Road America. It's just been a phenomenal championship. We've seen five or six riders, the Ducati of Josh Herring in the mix. What's your take on, on Moto America and, and how good is it to see Cam Bobier back on a bike? Just reminding everybody how quick he was because he had a couple of couple of tough seasons in Moto2. 
I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to counter that by saying I think it's a shame that, that Cambovier is not in, in Moto2 anymore. Um, it's good for Brits. We're always going to obviously replace him. But I think, he, you know, when he was quick, he was quick. A little bit frail, maybe. Um, had quite a few. He didn't have a bit of a run of like falling out of very good positions. Um, I thought that was progress that was being made. It's a shame it kind of ended when it did. Um, as I'm coming back to, to America, I think that's good, good in the sense of I think his kind of baton was taken by Jack Gagne when he when he left. I think now Jake needs that kind of foil. Now Danilo Petrucci's not around either. But um, I mean, BMW, especially BMW and Honda. Um, I think and then more sort of the the uh, the domestic series where it's a bit more elbows out, um, you know, blood and blood and grit and everything like that. Um, the 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 basic stock, you know, of those bikes is actually very, very good. Um when it gets to that kind of electronic stage of well, super bikes seem they seem to lose their way. Um and I think at that kind of level, you know, there always there's always question marks about BMW. They can be a little the the performance is very up and down with with the BMW in various championships. They can go through patches of being very fast and patches of being kind of at, at sea. But that's partly because they keep changing the bike. There's been there's been three changes on that bike in the last like four years, uh, three major changes. And um, but at its but take away all that those changes they make, the base is actually pretty good. And someone of his talent with maybe a bit of an underdog status, you know, to try and prove himself in a different way is going to be great. So it's going to be great for the championship because. Yeah, like I said, like Jay Gagne was kind of sort of running away with things a little bit and um, without Dan Lowe there now. So I think that sets things up quite nicely as, as a head test. So it's great for the championship. The championship has, has come such a long way in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, it really did go through a massive lull. Um, but the rebrand and, you know, when Rainey's on board and and all the changes it kind of made there and kind of get some... And even like the effect of someone like Garrett Geloff, you know, coming over from America and doing pretty well, Cam, in in Moto2 and you know people like um uh Bit Bitbull in, in um in American racing and yeah John Hopkins kind of creating a bit more of a sort of a ladder, you know, sort of a, a proving ground for for youngsters to make that transition to the Grand Prix stage because we haven't really had a big American rider for a long time. Um when we used to have loads. And they're kind of in the same position as we were. We we are with that basically as, as Brits in terms of sort of bringing people forward and now things are being kind of Put in place, which I think is actually probably the most important thing uh, for BSB and for Moto America, and a biggest step they made in the last few years to kind of create that kind of um, proving ground for youngsters to progress internationally. Because there's way too many Spaniards and Italians at the moment, and it's a little bit eye rolling. And the teams are default factory teams are defaulting to those countries because they know what the background, they know what the you know what the um, the platform they're coming from is. So if they can perform there, then they're going to be good, basically. So we need to now prove ourselves like that we just don't quite have the same sort of level of facilities as they do in spain all the good weather basically yeah for sure and i i echo what you say i mean obviously the championships are very different i think one of the biggest things this year from a technical point of view is that moto america is now running the same rules as world superbike um, okay granted they're running different tires they run dunlop and not pirelli which again could have a big factor. We see that, don't we? When we see Honda, for example, go into the Suzuka eight hours and they run the Bridgestones um, and instantly the bike is at the front. Um, so it's, it's. I'm not saying that that's not the reason that they're not winning in, in World Superbike or in other championships, but it, it has to be a factor that has to be considered. But I think the biggest thing from the technical side for me is that, you know, they have now adopted the, the, the World Superbike rules from a technical side, in terms of even the internal gear ratios, they have to select what gear ratios they're going to run at the start of the season. So, for example, PJ Jacobson, whose teammate with with Cambovier, 
runs different internal gearbox ratios than what cam does and you see that on certain tracks you know with, with how that works so i think that is good um want to give a shout out as well to chavi forres i know that we've talked a little bit off uh podcast in the past with about chavi chavi forres and what a great for me underrated rider he is um what he achieved in world superbike what he achieved in bsb he's actually been drafted in by Ducati, um, New York, the Warhorse HSBK bike to ride the super sport machine, which when that was announced was a shock to me. Again, nothing against Josh Herring. I think he fully deserves the, the the seat that he's got, obviously replacing Danilo Petrucci. He's already, already won a super bike race this year on the Ducati. So not saying that he doesn't deserve the space, but when you hear Xavi Forres' name, the experience that he's got, being linked to Moto America, my first thought was, oh, he's going to be in Superbike. This is great. We've had Loris Baz. Now we've got Danilo. Now we've got Xavi Forres. And they elected to put him on the bike to replace Josh Herring. Um, caught up with him briefly in uh, in Daytona. It wasn't the debut at all that he wanted. You know, he was, was, was barely inside the top 10. Granted, it's a different circuit. It's an endurance race. The five races that we've had in the Moto America Championship, Xavi Forres has won every single race and he looks insane like the guy looks insane on the bike um what's your what's your take on on that um in terms of firstly him think, going to super, um, in terms of him going to super sport but also what that does to the championship the fact that we've got these talented european riders that are now not just looking at bsb or the spanish championship they're quite prepared to go to america you know and i know what it's like traveling back and forwards across the atlantic and i'm just talking shit eight hours a day these guys are athletes you know different time zones it's it's a big big ask it's an interesting one because i mean super sports generally been seen as the kind of the the proving ground for young younger riders maybe coming through and then chavi is you know with all due, due respect um not the youngest um rider out there however you know, Giacchetti is doing a great job in World Superbikes, um, winning everything. So any any kind of like motorcycle racing fan of you know worth that kind of soul is worth you know worth who will look into that will will see that they're winning. So that's got that promotional aspect sort of covered, especially with the no being Ameri being no American round. Um, on the Super Sport front, the Panigale V2 is a pretty new bike. It's also probably a better seller than the v4 in america where sport bikes still have a fairly decent you know um market share so getting someone kind of experienced who can win basically on that bike i think has a lot i think i think it's a little commercial decision probably to put him there and it sounds like it's, it's really paying off because in you know again i think ducati's kind of factory Esque effort in motor america is at the superbike level is not as strong as yamaha's for instance so Chavi Forres, if he's putting in results like Danilo, you know, second and third and stuff, it perhaps wouldn't really hit, hit, hit the mark, depending on, I mean, Josh Aaron might be doing, might, might also win, you know, might be dominating in, in Super Sport 2. But I think kind of like put Forres on there, it's probably a slam dunk, probably. And they're winning races and there's a lot of potential to sell there. It's a cheaper bike and a bit more mass market. So that's my very dull kind of answer to that basically and um and in prediction who knows it might literally have just been you know um rock paper scissors might have decided it <laughs> it's necessarily yeah. have to have been any particular reason but um it's it's good for him he's, he's, he's one of these sort of um he's a bit of a you can jump on anything really isn't he? he's done a bit of everything it's becoming a it's becoming that kind of we'll, we'll turn up we'll end up in bsb again at some point in the future you never know you know do endurance and dakar and you know, <laughs> to, yeah, no, I, I agree. He's a star racer. 
Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. I remember when I first went uh, into the Superbike paddock back in the early 2000s and he was riding stock uh, stock 1000s for the Corona Suzuki team at the time. And you, you know you know what it's like, you're a journalist, you, you just instantly warm to some riders and you think, actually, what a, what a decent bloke. Like he's got the, all the time in the world for you, even when he's literally just picking bits out of the gravel, he'll still talk to you, you know what I mean? And just think, what a nice bloke. And, you know, obviously he's, he's, he was saying to me actually in the last round at Barber Motorsports Park, which if you've never been to, that has got to be on your bucket list. I spent four and a half hours in the Barber Museum looking at everything from 350 Air Marquis to old Formula One cars. I mean, incredible. I'd never been there before because of the way the calendars work, but it was was so good. But, but Chandy was saying, you know, obviously for him, it's kind of it's landed on his feet, you know, because he's, he's just become a dad for the first time. His, his wife and his little baby are coming out to America. They're going to base themselves in the States in, in sort of the, um, the west side of the country, um, obviously for California, the Ridge. And uh, he's loving life in America. And I think, you know, it's just sometimes I like seeing just nice things happen to nice people. You know what I mean? I just think it's just a nice, nice all around I mean, you know, story. I think it's so cool. I mean, there's, there's talk of Scott going over to America actually as well next year, which which would be would be interesting. I mean, the American lifestyle is a. Uh, well, I've never I've never lived there. I've visited obviously, but I've, I've never lived there, so I, I can't necessarily comment. But you know, I mean, it's there are some guys you see on the grid that maybe aren't going to be world champions, but they're really hard grafting. They've put you know they've they've come they've tried a bit of everything and they've you know they've they've had success and they deserve you know a champion's a really good example actually. It's not. I hate the word journeyman um, because it's a bit that implies they're average. That it's not quite. It just means they've been around for a long time, and you know they're kind of they're kind of there. Are they going to make a step up? Probably not. I don't know. I mean, not many people tend to sort of take a step forward in the latter half of their career. Dominic Eggers is probably a bit of a, a bit of a um, anomaly in that sense. But you know, I mean, <laughs> maybe love when you sort of, sort of it's when you kind of remember people from from like a young from 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 the grassroots. I remember. Um, Using example of Top Rack, um, I also what a lovely guy he is. <laughs> he's, he's 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 very unexpected when you meet him, um, and he's he's just very very lovely to be around. And um, it's also a real pleasure to be able to pronounce his surname correctly. It's really satisfying off the tongue. But I remember when he, you know, I remember when he he, he sort of landed in in Superstock Six Hundred, I think it was, and he just turned yeah. up. I think it was a final round in Manicor. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember looking at his name on the timing sheets and going, "What the hell?" And <laughs> it's like, "What? How do you?" The commentators weren't getting it right. They definitely weren't getting it right. One straight away went on his debut, and that was like that is someone to watch. So I always watched him um, before he kind of got to you know through Superstock, and it was always someone I, I was very keen to keep an eye on. And he's obviously kind of made a, a sort of a huge success. I mean, maybe I've kind of diverted away a little bit from my point just because I wanted to say Razgatlioglu. Oh. Um, to get to say that out loud, you're such but, a show off. You're yeah, such I mean, a show off. I mean, that's the only reason we got you on the show was just to prove that all this bullshit that you talk about, you can actually present top uh, pr- uh, pronounced top rack surname. So yeah, there's a little bit of a crossover when you think about Pachetti, I guess. Um, and one of the things with our suplex at the moment, especially, is is an interesting debate. I think a little bit about whether you should keep with experience or take a punt on young at the moment um and i think there's a real mix in world superbikes more than there have been in previous years which is helping to kind of close things up a little bit bautista notwithstanding um i mean pachetti's in a bit of a bind at the moment isn't it with this kind of um with this kind of uh various issues basically as well and you know are they taking on new riders are they going for older ones uh you look at barney 
Um, you know, they had Luca Bernardi on there, who I thought was given a bit of a rough deal, actually, to be kind of dropped before the end of the season on a two-year deal as well, actually. They were very keen to point out that this was a development year and then, you know, he would race the following year. But I, I thought he was actually doing a fairly solid job. Um, just on that, just on that point as well, you mentioned... Yeah, sorry, sorry to cut, cut you off, but you mentioned Luca Bernardi. I can just point out as well, he's now riding for Aprilia uh, in the Italian Championship and he won the last round in Vallelunga last weekend. So uh, proves that, you know, he, he was a young rider. You know, he maybe did need another another year at it. But uh, uh, nice to see that Luca's doing doing quite well. Uh, he, he was one of those riders, like you said, maybe in, in Supersport when he was there, that, you know, just a little bit of, little bit more time, he got injured and then he was promoted. And, you know, you know we don't know why, yeah. why what the rules were of why he left it team but it's good to see that he's, he's still out there I always look at the Italian championship and yeah he won the last round uh, and I believe it was his first win for Aprilia which is nice and uh, yeah sorry to cut you in but I just thought I'd mention that we love to see Aprilia back wouldn't it but they can't do it, it with their bike because it's just a little bit a little bit too big um there might be a couple of world cards I've heard basically but um yeah I mean it's there's, there's a there's a nice mix of youth fans and new and, and I think there's you know I think it's so nice to see someone like Axel Bassani to come up because, you know, I'd heard of him when he was first announced in 2021, I think it was. Um, and I remember and I was looking back through his results and I was thinking, this is someone quite interesting because when he did it, he, did it, he used to do a few wild cards at like 17 or 18, a few wild card super sport races and he got like top fives. And it's just like, no one comes into super sport and gets top fives as a wild card at that age. And then it kind of went wrong for a couple of years and he went back to sort of the domestic and then he ends up on the world superbike grid pretty much as an unknown and probably the lowest funded team one of one of the bottom three anyway yeah and the results he was getting by the end of the year were fantastic uh for for what he was doing and he's obviously making a step forward and he's made another step forward this year and it's i don't know whether he's like um i don't know what's going on behind the scenes that he hasn't really been snapped up i don't know why someone like kawasaki haven't tried to jump on him i mean They've seen what's happened, what they can, what Ducati are doing with their riders and Yamaha are developing them. Kawasaki doesn't do that for some reason. Honda's not really doing that either. Um, and BMW is a team, especially, they could afford to do something like that because they don't have a super sport, you know, set up. So they need to kind of like, they need to kind of manage maybe a couple of riders on, like, you know, Yamaha, yeah, the Yamaha sort of super sport machinery. Um, but Honda, I mean, I don't know what Honda's doing basically this year with, um, with their super sport effort. I'm not quite sure how or why that's happening necessarily i thought a new bike was coming but i spoke to taz and he's, he, he said he's not really heard anything um so i don't know basically but um so i've gone away from my original point which i can't remember anymore so <laughs> next question <laughs> okay well i mean again we were talking just predominantly about, about mode america and, and obviously that, that kind of leads us into uh into what i'm sure everybody wants to hear your opinion about MotoGP. Um, introduction of the sprint races. Um, I'm not necessarily sure my own personal feeling that it's a good idea. Um, I don't think it needs, MotoGP needed to reinvent itself. A bit like when we look at Formula One with some of the things they've tried to do to try and reinvent racing. And even when we had the reverse grids in Superbike, you know, it wasn't something that I personally was a fan of. Uh, I understand why it was done. Um, but very, very quickly, they realized they didn't need to do it and reverted, you know. So I don't know whether it adds anything to the spectacle. I mean, certainly in terms of the the carnage in the first couple of laps that we've seen in some of these sprint races, yes, we've seen we've seen that. I think it's clear to see that the riders now understand how the format of the weekend works. But when you look at the grid, 
We do have a lot of injuries. That said, some of the biggest injuries that we've seen haven't come from the sprint races. I will just point that out, you know, so I understand that the keyboard warriors are, it's because of the sprint races. No, let's let's be factual and look black and white. The majority of these accidents, you know, nobody wants to see anybody get injured, but they've come from the main uh, the main races. It's turned into a bit of a Ducati domination. Um, and I'm not, again, saying that that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. We've gone through, you can go through any championship and look, each manufacturer has been, you know, consistent in their their particular era. Go back in the day when Yamaha was dominant with, with Wayne Rainey and then you went with Honda. You know, so it, these things have happened where we've had periods of domination by different manufacturers. And I think it was Davide Terozzi on the grid a couple of races ago. He said, well, it's just our time now. Like, we've worked hard. We've got eight riders on the grid and they're all capable of winning. Whether that's down to the aerodynamics, I'm not massively technical. I'm not a fan of aerodynamics. Again, from obviously, you, you know, like you, I follow Formula One. I'm not really sure we need all of this fabricated shit. Like for me, it's just, I don't know. Um, but when we look at the two manufacturers that seem to be struggling the most, um, Honda and Yamaha, obviously Fabio Quattararo has made no secret of the fact that he's not happy. Um, there's been meetings, uh, that's been very well documented. He's demanded from Yamaha, we need to win, I expect to win. Whether there's a get-out clause in his contract, we don't know, but there's a whole big topic to discuss there. And then obviously we're just a couple of days away from the German Grand Prix, an event that Marc Marquez has won, I think 11 times there, or eight times, however many times he won around that circuit, probably 11 if you include the 125 win and then into Moto2 or well, whatever. Yeah. He crashed so many times uh, in this race. He crashed in Mugello. He's crashed earlier in the in the uh, the other races. I've never seen Mark Marquez look as dejected and just thoroughly over it uh, as we saw from those social media pictures. Um, where's it all gone wrong? Like, what, what's gone wrong? Because we we can clearly well, see the talent that Marquez has got, but for whatever reason, with Yamaha and with, with Honda, have they just taken their finger off the ball? Like, I mean. You did, Mark Marquez and, and Fabio Quattararo haven't just forgotten how to ride motorcycles, you know. But it's they're lost, aren't they? They're completely lost. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to cover there. I mean, I've got been on strip spin races and Ducati and things, but um, just start with Mark. I mean, I'm actually mid um, writing writing a, a piece on kind of um, Mark's. I felt like this weekend was a bit of a cha- a shift in the outlook for his future per, for him personally. Um, I mean, it, I was to be honest, even before, I think after like the first crash, I think um, no, I think it was even for the first crash. I don't think he crashed yet. I think he had a couple of saves, basically. Um, this was before I think his first crash was when he struck Zarco, I think, um, and then he had three in qualifying and then one on Sunday morning. So I was watching him through sort of P one and P two, and his demeanor was stiff and grunt. You know, he, he was about things because he'd had a couple of saves and then he did the. You know, he flipped the bird, yeah, he did the middle finger, yeah, bike, yeah. which was both amusing and childish at the same time. We've all kind of done that. Um, that's a track where he knows it, it, it kind of it's kind of in the past elevated above problems with the bikes, problems with himself. I mean, look at back in 2021 when he came, it was only quite short after he started to come back from his injury, he'd had about three or four DNFs in a row, and he came back, he came back and he he won, um, at that track, and it was kind of like a sign that he he was still an elite. And he could rise above what was obviously the, the bike's problems. Um, so he didn't do last year's one. And so it comes to this year's one. And it's almost like, you know, he can kind of ride around the problems at a track he knows really well and kind of expects to do well. So he's got his own weight of expectations. But at the same time, he's been bombarded by journalists asking about the bike, his future. Because we are, he's still another year left on his contract. But 
now's around the time you're going to have to start talking about it. Um, and the bike is a problem. I do. Th- I, I get the impression I mean, Mark's always overridden anyway. You know, he's always had the highest number of crashes at the end of a season, even when he was winning. He was dominating every single race because he was his tendency was to ride over the limit at the beginning of it, crash. He knows where it is, and he would dial it back and sort of get very close to it. The problem is with the Honda; it's obviously the limit of the Honda seems to be changing all the time. So Mark is unable to find that limit because it keep, it kind of finds him instead. And you know, all his crashes have been quite different so far. So he hasn't finished a main GP yet in Portugal, France, and Italy. He crashed out of all of those and didn't start the one in Germany. Um, but I mean, the qualifying one was, was particularly. He was he was obviously very pissed off after the um, incident with Zarco and. You know, he was he was really abrasive in his response to a lot of the questions because he is getting pointed out a lot for causing crashes and causing incident like he did with Miguel at the beginning of the year. And whether that's fair or not, I don't know. He doesn't be involved in a lot, basically. His his when he makes a mistake or the bike snaps, it doesn't do so in a small way. It just tends to do so in a big way. And Mark has been ragged. I mean, and even with Mugello, actually, he had a really big moment at the beginning on the first lap in Mugello where he was very close to taking out Jack Miller. Um, so I don't know whether it's just he's not found his he's not been on the bike much he's very intermittent with his time on the bike so it might just be a little bit it might just be a little bit more practice on it but you know three crashes in qualifying is mind-blowing really that's 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 three crashes in about 15 minutes which is yeah. insane his body i mean imagine he's feeling it right now and then obviously he had that massive one the biggest one on the sunday morning when i think i just summed up everything basically but you know, he was blaming Zarco for their crash, which he had. A, he, there was an argument for what he was saying in there, I think, a little bit, but it came across really badly. And it's it's just kind of, you can tell he's getting more and more wound up a little bit. And it's partly because he's been smiling through a lot and he's kind of maybe enjoying the underdog status a little bit more, um, which is fine if you're finishing, but you're not at the moment. And uh, But the Saxon Ring is somewhere where he wins and he would expect to do well there. And that's a chance for him to, to you know, the underdog comes good at the Saxon ring because he knew he could do it. And that just sensed a lot of overriding throughout the weekend. And he got Sunday morning and just went, you know, it's he's, he's angry. He's not focused. He's frustrated. And Honda, I mean, you just cut to images of Honda, Honda people in, in the garage. And they're just like, you know, they can see that they're chasing their, their best rider away. And they don't particularly have a plan B at the looks of it either. Um, you know, made various changes to that bike. They've you know, got the Calix chassis, chassis now, but you know, Marquez can get can wring speed out of it, but he can't seem to do it for an entire weekend without kind of scrubbing it all off. Yeah. So I've got a got a, got a question. Change. Yeah, I've got a, got a, got a question somewhere else. Yeah, I've got a question for you that, and again, this might be controversial. It's just my again one of my personal thoughts on this. How how regretful do you think Honda are right now? Uh, losing Danny Pedrosa. And I say this from, from a, again, I'm not a technical guy, but you could argue that when Mark Marquez went to the Repsol Honda, a lot of the development from that bike historically would have come from, from Danny. Um, I'm not saying that it was all Danny. I'm not saying that Mark's not a development rider. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Um, for whatever reason, Danny Pedrosa leaves the Repsol Honda team as their test rider. He goes to KTM. And again, I'm not saying that Hollis Pagaro and that the previous riders aren't development riders, but all of a sudden, 
Honda isn't doing very well and KTM is now thriving. And you've got Jack Miller on the bike, never ridden it before. He's fighting for the win. Brad Binder, Miguel Oliveira's won races in the past for them. You know, Paul Espargaro, when he's on the bike, you know, has been quicker on the KTM than he has been on the Honda. Do you think that plays a part? And again, and I mean this with the greatest respect. I'm not saying that, that Stefan Bradl or the, the Yamaha test riders, whose name escapes me right now, aren't doing a good job. But what I'm saying is, Honda have fundamentally lost somebody that, in my opinion, should have been a MotoGP world champion. Danny Pedrosa is such a great talent. That guy clearly can develop motorcycles or is certainly part of a great team that can. I mean, do you see where I'm going with it? I mean, again, I'm not trying to be controversial yeah. or be horrible to anybody that's not there anymore, but there just seem to be a bit of a link here that their, their main test rider leaves and now one of their rivals that was in, you could argue, in their position two or three years ago. It's a complete role reversal. I mean, I mean, Danny, Danny Petros is a bit of a, is a bit of a, he's, he's unique in the sense of he, he, he's, he diligently works. He's not, he's not, he doesn't, you know, he turned out so many wild cards with KTM because that's not what he wants to do. He wants to make a success of this bike. And that was the same kind of mentality he had with Honda because, you know, he was there for a long time, Nick, you know, Nicky Hayden won a title and then Casey won a title and then Mark came along. So he's always been that kind of in the background and he, you know, he was one of the aliens, wasn't he? He was still an incredibly good rider. I, I would worry if, if the Honda had, gone that way regardless of whether he was still there or not if he was still racing i'd worry for his poor bones because you know if he crashed off it he, he was a bit made of porcelain wasn't he daddy bless yeah. him um but i think i think he retired at the right moment but you know he'd been he'd been there a long time and i don't know whether being a honda, a honda test rider would have been good for him really i don't think it would have i don't think it would have i think ktm represented the challenge he needed in the role he wanted whereas i don't think i think if a honda test rider role we've been very good at it but i don't think it would have given him as much satisfaction as as he would have KTM, um, I mean Honda's is a bit tricky because it's it's kind of caught in, in, in a rock and a hard place because it has been able to put all its a lot of eggs in its basket with the Marquez basket, which people always say like you know it's so far for doing that so when Marquez gets injured to an extent yes but also you know six world titles <laughs> at the end of the day that wasn't a bad strategy. It's when things go wrong that's the problem and they don't seem to know what to do and they're kind of caught in the middle a little bit because they have obviously eased the bike away from Mark to make it a little bit more compliant with the other riders. But I think they're making a mistake by constantly um, hiring um, experienced riders, basically. Again, this comes back to my point about um, maybe it's worth putting fresh blood on there. Maybe it needs a blank canvas, someone who hasn't been around quite so much. I mean, look at Fabio. You know, he, he didn't know how to ride a MotoGP bike and he just kind of jumped in and, you know, he just made it work for him basically, and that's what's kind of that's why a lot of the rookies are kind of doing quite well because it's not really they don't really know how to ride a MotoGP, they don't have set expectations as to what it can do. So often, when you see like a, a established rider move manufacturers, it's a difficult transition because they know how to work it on one bike and they can't do it on this one because it's a different bike and it takes a while. And MotoGP is so close, and there's so many races, it's very difficult to kind of adapt in time. There's not a lot of testing anymore. Whereas stick a new per, new rider on it and can watch them kind of incrementally um, in, impress. And look at Darren Binder. I thought he actually did a decent job, you know, going from Moto3. That wasn't a particularly fast bike at all. I think he had the measure of Andrea De Vizioso, who we all know is a fantastic rider. You know, so maybe it's worth Honda. I mean, Honda didn't put Ogura on the bike, which is probably just as well um, for this year because they didn't want to basically ruin his career because they were worried about the bike not being enough um quick enough or um the quality enough it would chuck him off and maybe injure him or something like that so they kept tacker on it instead which you know honda's kind of taking their eye off with sort of bringing new riders through as well um 
I think they need to muck in a little bit more with Ducati and and the other manufacturers and KTM and actually start getting a you know proper you know we're gonna we're gonna put you in this for two most two for two years and then we're gonna promote you basically and you're gonna be ready that sort of thing rather than kind of waiting around but that's I mean Honda Honda needs to do Honda needs to do something but it doesn't seem to know what it wants to do basically yeah and it's a shame and you could... dominate. they were absolutely dominating about three years ago and you know yeah reps are Honda, Honda team at the bottom of the team standings which is insane when you think about it at this stage in the season and yeah I know, noticed that when I, yeah, yeah, so I noticed that when I got the results through you you get the results and you look at the bottom of the team standing like wow we've never seen that you know and it, it's it's uh, yeah. it, it is an interesting one. It's the same with Yamaha as well. Obviously, I think the difference there is that you know, again, riders have contracts. Will they move? What interested me uh, was the the comment from from Jack Miller, who who as we know is all quite outspoken. He's a big fan favorite. I've met Jack many times. Great, great guy. He leaned into and, that. And, now he's left to Cassie, I noticed as well. Yeah, and he, a lot he's more just loose tongue. Yeah, and he's just basically everyone else just needs to shut the beep 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 beep, beep and just develop their bikes and get on with it. Just stop moaning. Let's just get on with it and. I mean, I was going to say that is easier. That is easier. It is, yeah, it is definitely easier said than done. But it, it's interesting just to see how how people take it. I mean, the, the same could be said with with Aprilia. You know, look at the end of last year, you would have thought they could have been potentially championship contenders, and you know they're not there week in week out. You know, I, I think right now Ducati just seems to have got it right. You know, they've interpreted the rules. They've got great riders on great bikes. But as you said, it's so close, isn't it? Now it's so so close. Um, again, I'm just conscious of the time. We've got about eight minutes. Ducati riders know how to ride their bikes. Yes, Ducati riders know how to ride their bikes as well. I mean, they they are running the most out of it. Have a really solid platform, and they're not throwing it down the road quite so much. You know, the Honda. When he, both the Yamaha riders have finished every single race this year. That should be pointed out. Um, so, bike is solid, and they know how to ride it. They just can't make it fast. The Hondas are basically um, hurting their riders. Um, Aprilia seems a little bit unreliable again now, which is un- which is unusual. They seem to be having a few kind of um, niggling issues with it. And who uh, have we got left? KTM. I think KTM is having a great season. It's, yeah. I think it's a shame we can't. I think if you combine Brad Binder and Jack Miller, you get kind of Brack Mil- um, Minder, Brack Minder. Um, because you've got Brad, who I think is a fantastic rider. He just he's he just needs a little turn. He can't turn it on quite so quick, quite as well as Jack, who can very much turn it on. But it means he didn't find they're kind of like going in different directions in a race. So eventually they'll kind of meet in the middle, and then Brad will go forward and Jack will go backwards. If they can kind of start to bring one forward and one one back a little bit, they might have a central title winning kind of combination there, basically. But you yeah. know, I mean, it's and look at. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've got Pedro Costa as well, and people coming up. Yeah, yeah. Tenor, I believe I rate really highly. Um, I'm speculating. I think KTM might add a third team next year. The Husqvarna under IO Motorsport. But only if they can, they can only do it if it's going to be two bikes. And they can't. They want to add one bike for Pedro Costa, but they can't under the regulations. And if they add the third one, it has to be a factory team, I think, to get yeah. over the hurdle of the agreement with Dorna. But I like this idea because KTM can afford that. They've moaned about Ducati having too many bikes, but the manufacturer probably most likely to follow suit. Um, but if they do that, got Pedro Costa, Husqvarna, you know, IO are intact. Uh, team has it'll be Pedro Costa, and I reckon Jake Dixon, which would tick a lot of boxes for Dorna and the Brits. And I think he's ready actually to to step up as well. And I think most GP could probably stand to add a couple more bikes onto the yeah, grid. Well, that, that was that gonna... dominance. 
Yeah, that was going to be my thing. As we've got literally three or four minutes left, I was going to fire some quick questions at you. One of them was, do you think Jake Dixon? I was like, do you think Jake Dixon is ready to go to MotoGP? You've just answered that. Uh, Mark Marquez, does he stay with Honda or does he find a way of buying his way out? Very quick answer. Uh, Mark Marquez to Yamaha in 2025. Okay, so he stays with Honda but moves to Yamaha following following next year. He's got one more year in his contract, Yamaha 2025. Okay, Quattararo, what does he do? He has, does he, he has to him. Um, I can see Quattararo at Aprilia, actually. Next year, buying his way out of the Yamaha contract? Nah, 2025 again. I think next year's bid's fairly, fairly solid as what it is at the moment. Um, I think Quattararo needs to ch will change unless Yamaha can do something or promise something major for next year or the following one. Okay. Sprint race, you're a fan of, fan of them? Should they stay? Should they go? Yes, I, don't think they should, I, I thought they shouldn't have done it every round. Maybe do it at half of them, and the races should be a little bit longer and be available to more points. So do the top fifteen, and do what BSB does by making the fastest laps, make the grid for the main Grand Prix. Okay, so not doing what World Superbike do, top nine, other top nine on the grid. You do it by fastest lap. Yeah, I yeah. think I think they should score down to fifteen full points, or maybe a little bit less, maybe a slightly different point scoring system, but make the fastest laps of that race set the grid for the main Grand Prix. Okay, no, I like that. I like that. Um, very, very quickly then in BSB, obviously we're seeing such a great championship as always in BSB, one of the best, if not the best domestic championship in the world. Um, Kyle Ride really stepped up this year, doing great. Ryan Vickers back on the podium, O'Halloran quick, Glenn Irwin, Tommy Bridewell, um, you know, all the guys. Kawasaki struggling a little bit, but we are seeing some flashes of, of you know, steps forward made by, by Lee Jackson. Kawasaki certainly in BSB seem to have elected to go with younger riders, haven't they? With, uh, with young Max Cook uh, and obviously Storm yeah. Stacy, who's yeah, still just in his early. Bike. <laughs> yeah, they've gone in a completely different direction. Young Storm Stacy as well. It was a bit of a quirky character. I know him a little bit. He's always a little bit, uh, it was quite funny to see him on the TV. He's got his own. Yeah. I like that Storm is like still a teenager and this is like his fourth or fifth season of BSB, which is, uh, blows my mind. I think a he's only 20. What is he? 20, 20 weekend, actually. Yeah, what is he? Twenty one. He's twenty. I think. I think I wrote when he we was signed on for another season this year. I think he was nineteen at the time because I keep always having to look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, BSB. I'm, I'm going to stick with my pre-season prediction of Tommy Bridewell to win the title because I've actually personally really liked to see him win because he's been around for a long time yes. and I think um, he has the ingredients to do so. Glenn, I think, is having a fantastic season because I think he's a little bit flashing. He's, he's a little bit up and down with his results. He can dominate one round and be nowhere the next, whereas he's now getting that consistency. Kyle, I think, has been fantastic because I think he he's very, very, very aware of what happened last year and deficiencies and how he could be so lightning fast, especially every single lap. But then, you know, his son is in the race, it just seems to go down and then his head gets down and it's difficult for him. So the fact that he, you know, he's been bouncing back from bad races with wins is a massive step for him. And I think... I mean, I think he's got a very, very solid um, rivalry. You know, the rival Bridewell and, and Owen are going to be difficult to beat. And I don't think Yamaha quite has the edge as it did last year. But as a competitor and someone who's thinking through his races and thinking through his weekends, I think Kyle has made the biggest step of all the riders this year. It's, but it's interesting to see how Yamaha, you know, Jason Halloran's a bit up and down, really up and down. For someone so consistent normally, he's been very up and down. Um, and the BMWs, Josh Brooks has done well, though him and Peter were a little bit, maybe TT fatigued a little bit um, and not killed this weekend. Um, and who else have you got? You've got you have some decent uh, Christian Iden, maybe isn't, needs another year on that bike, maybe. 
I'm mentally going down the grid. Um, now, you, yeah, you're, you're covering pretty much yes, everybody. Exactly. We've got about two minutes left, so I just very, very, very quickly um, give us 10, 15 seconds, that insane lap of Peter Hickman at the Aleman TT. Incredible. Yeah. Um, on a super stop bike as well, um, which is mad. I mean, he had, a, he had a really bad, not a bad start to the week. It was all very, very Michael on the beginning of the week and the second week was very much Peter. So it was interesting to see how that kind of shifted. I think Peter needed that because I think he came in with the spotlight on him and it kind of fell away from him and it went to Michael who, you know, leaner, fitter, stronger. He obviously was very focused on the TT this year. He really wanted to, to get those wins on the Honda and he did a brilliant job, I think. And I think it just kind of caught Hickman a little bit by surprise because previously he could be a little bit slower at the beginning and then kind of build up momentum but he, that that strategy just didn't work this the first half week and by the second half he just went for the hell for leather basically so yeah um amazing lap new benchmark huge benchmark as well um yeah what year are we going to hit 140 yeah absolutely Ab- absolutely well hopefully we'll be there to see it uh well we are going to bring this uh, episode to a close we've got less than 60 seconds so uh, i don't want it to cut off mid-recording just want to say a big big thank you to uh to uh ollie uh, obviously bikesportnews.com get online check out all the great stuff that's going on there and ollie thanks for being with us and i'm sure at some point we'll get you back on big thank you as ever to my guest this week to Chris Elliott and to Ollie Barstow and uh, from all of us at Vroom thank you for listening our next show will have a full review of the latest round of the Moto America Championship that's coming up from the Ridge Motorsports Park in Washington I'll be flying out uh, tomorrow for that uh, latest round and MotoAmericaLivePlus.com if you want to see the practice the qualifying and the races and our next show the vroom podcast episode number 60 a very special one for us uh, we'll be giving you a full preview of the british round of the superbike world championship which takes place at donnington park in a fortnight so uh, stay tuned to us uh, follow on social media at mhill official on twitter and instagram and of course if there are any topics any riders or any questions that you've got for us here at the vroom podcast send them in and we'll see you next time vroom your motorsport fix podcast is produced by michael hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Room Media. The music is by the Rain Dogs, and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions. Oh, 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 o